We're going to go into today's scripture reading, which comes from Psalm 23, chapter 4. We're going to read this in the ESV. Uh, And so if you want to find that, there's an ESV Bible uh, under your chairs for those who are here in person. If you're joining us from home, feel free to look that up. Uh, But just know that uh, we'll also be projecting that, so no need to uh, exit out of the (laughs) whatever app you're in. but again, it's Psalm 23, verse 4. Uh, we ask that if you're here in person, if you feel comfortable doing this at home, that you please stand as able for the reading of God's word. And may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, friends, we are, uh, just like the little ones, uh, continuing to talk about Psalm 23. Uh, It is uh, what Dallas Willard describes, the psalm of the kingdom heart. It describes the kind of heart we should have when we are living in kingdom reality. What does that mean? It means that we know, not just intellectually, but in your lived experience, in your nervous system, in every pore of your being, you know that the Lord is your shepherd. You know that God is king, that he's in control, and you don't need to worry, and he loves you. And you're living in that kind of reality 24-7. That's the kingdom heart that we're talking about. That's what we see reflected in Psalm 23. And particularly today, uh, in in the the verse that we read, the one verse, uh, it's about fear. And fear is something that I think in this day and age, man, it's it's an epidemic. And really, honestly, fear is something that uh, just at our very base of who we are, we respond to it probably more than anything else. Because with fear kind of kicks in a survival instinct, right? That we are programmed. Our default mode is to look first and foremost for threats. And, and you know, friends, uh, I had this, this gif of uh, SpongeBob quaking in his bed, you know? And, and sometimes we think about fear in the very extreme forms, like, you know, you're afraid of, of death, you know, you have this racking fear that, you know, maybe you're like physically shaking or something like that, like SpongeBob was, you know. Uh, but friends, I think that for many of us, it may not always be like an active fear, like, oh my goodness, there is an active threat that I can see. But sometimes the problem is the fear, you can't see it at all. And we have a word for fear that has no object that is present at the moment but it exists in your mind, it exists in your heart, in your nervous system. We call that anxiety, and it is an epidemic. We're told that uh, about one in five uh, uh, adults will have an anxiety disorder, a diagnosable anxiety disorder, or um, I I think it's actually one in five have a diagnosable uh, anxiety disorder. And the numbers of people who will have some form of uh, anxiety disorder throughout their lifetime, it's astronomically high. I mean, it's almost all of us, right? Because fear is all around us. And we have to be honest that not only is fear all all around us, but sometimes people use fear to manipulate us. You know, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, (laughs) when you read the news, uh, I've never uh, read a newspaper or gone to a news website and that the headline was, 
Everything is great. Don't worry. <laughs> you have nothing to be afraid of. Right? They are exploiting this very basic thing about our human nature that we respond to fear above almost anything else. You could be having the greatest day, but if you scan a threat, that just jumps to the head of the queue, doesn't it? It trumps almost anything else. Right? And politicians know this. News knows this. Advertisers know this. Right? And, and so we just live in this world that is inundated with fear. Maybe not always at the highest levels. There are, are, are levels to this, right? Um, they had like the Department of uh, Homeland Security that was established after 9-11. And they would issue these, these warnings, you know, about like the terror level. It's just, you know, man, it's just kind of like everyone needs to be afraid, you know? And so they would give these colors, you know, it would be like, Orange, you know, yellow, red, deep, deep, deep blood crimson. I'm just kidding. There's, that's not one. But <laughs> it's almost like they, they want you to panic, you know, that we just live in. Maybe it's not that heightened. You know, maybe you're not at that, that you know, code red kind of level of fear and panic. But for many of us, we have a low level of anxiety, that we don't even really notice because we think of the, the kind of, you know, we think of this as fear. <laughs> you know, and maybe it's not that, but within your heart, you just feel this offness. You know, you, you just feel like the world isn't as it should be. You know, you, 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 you kind of feel like there's something you should be worrying about. I talk about this sometimes with students that, I mean, if you want to talk about people who have anxiety, right, talk to some of the students. Uh, U of M, University of Michigan, where uh, that's very close to us, um, I- I'm just saying, it is in the air. <laughs> when I go on campus, when I go into a coffee shop, when I go into the libraries, especially around exam time, it's in the air. It's thick with anxiety and fear, right? And, you know, one of the things that I've talked to a lot of our students about, and, you know, yeah, like, like the, they'll be the first ones to admit, like, man, you know, I have so much anxiety, But then the end of the school year comes. All of the exams are done. All the grades have been handed out. And, you know, some people would be like, Pastor Steve, I have nothing to do. There's no exam around the corner. There's no project to turn in. But I still feel like there's something that I'm not doing. I still feel anxious, and I don't know why. Friends, that's kind of the atmosphere we live in. Right? And one of the things that Dallas Willard actually says is that one of the signs of living in kingdom reality is no anxiety. Because if we are living in the reality of the kingdom of God, this idea that you are loved and cared for by a shepherd who is good and who loves you and is in control of the entire universe, then what do we need to be afraid of? Right? And so, friends, you know, a message like this, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's only one verse, right? But this is one of those messages that it can't just live here because you already know, right? I I didn't need to tell you that if God is your shepherd, you have nothing to be afraid of, right? But just having that knowledge up here in your head doesn't make you less afraid. And that's one of the problems with Western Christianity. We have assumed that if we have the right beliefs, Right? If you just kind of say the right things, or you say you believe in these things, then everything else will take care of itself. It's not really the case. Right? And one of the, the kind of crazy things about the world we live in is even for people 
who are Christians, who say they believe in God, and, and probably do, a, a lot of people say that in this world, we live in this secular world, which means it's a world that is not dominated by religious thought or belief or worldviews, world views, right? Um, that what a lot of people say is that even Christians live in a kind of practical atheism. What does that mean, a practical atheism? We live as if there is no God. And when things go wrong, we worry like there is no God. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What, do we, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and, and you worry, and you worry as if you truly are alone in this universe. And that everything is random. And everything just, you are subject. You are a victim of the whims of chance. And that's terrifying. Right? And many of us live that way. But when we go through Psalm 23, we don't want to just read it. We want to ingest it. We want to live it. We want it to become a part of our makeup, a part of our nervous system, that you literally have a kingdom heart, right? The way your heart beats is different. One of the things I've noticed is that your heart doesn't lie. Have you noticed that? You can say things like, I'm totally calm, right? But if you feel your heart, your heart will tell you if you're calm or not. That's why when you go to the doctor's office, right, they don't ask you, are you calm? Are you okay? Is everything okay within you? What do they do? They take your pulse. They take your blood pressure, right? Because in some ways, we don't believe you. <laughs> but the heart don't lie, you know? Uh, when, uh, a few weeks back, uh, one of my daughters was watching this uh, documentary on Netflix. This is fantastic. If you guys like animals, it's called The Hidden Life of Pets. It's not the secret life of pets, the one with the animated one, right? But it's a documentary just about pets and things that maybe you didn't know. And one of the things they talk about is how our pets, their heart rate will start to match our own. And our dogs, their heart will beat like the owner's. And it totally made sense because my dog is so sensitive to my you know, moods and to what's going on in my heart. And I used to, I mean, I, I freely admit this, that I, I had some anger issues that I've had to work through. And it's been getting much better. But there would be times where, especially when I was by myself and no one else was around, you know who got the brunt of it? Not, I wasn't yelling at him, but he would hear it. It's poor Lucky. You know, I, I, like seriously, never yelling at him, but yelling around the house and there's only so much you can, right? You can't go, he can't go outside. He can't, you know, get in a car and drive away from me when I'm <laughs> having a, a tantrum or whatever. And so there'd be times where I'd be like yelling and Lucky would go hide under the bed. And even now to this day, I could be watching like a football game, you know, and, and Michigan like, like just, just, you know, does something boneheaded. You know, they fumble the exchange, you know, and I'll be like, huh, you know, or just kind of like, like I'll sigh. Like, it doesn't even need to be like yelling. Like I, I seriously could just go like this. I just go, and Lucky will bolt up. He's always on the couch with us, like curled next to Elise or, you know, one, 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 someone in the family. And he will literally just bolt up. He could be in a dead sleep and he will bolt up and run out of the room. I, and, and just <laughs> when he does it, I'm like, lucky I'm calm. Lucky I'm calm. Heart don't lie. The heart don't lie. 
You know, and friends, um, that's what we want. You know, friends, I'm not telling you this to, to say that I think you're a liar. But I think that many times when we uh, just walk this walk of life, you know, that, that especially if you grew up in the church, you know, I, I notice this when I counsel people. You know, I'm talking to someone about faith. And what I notice about a lot of people is that even if they came to talk to me about problems, I start, like, you know, just listening to them. And every once in a while, you know, I might say something. And what inevitably ends up happening with most people I meet is they start preaching to me. And what I mean by that is they're like, but I, you know, they're like, oh, Pastor Steve, I, I, you know, I had a tough week. And I got COVID. I lost my job. It's been really tough. You know, um, my, my, my dog left me, my girlfriend left me, like all this stuff, right? And they'll be like, but God is good. I know God is good. I know God is good. And, and like, it, that's what I mean. They start preaching to me, you know? And I'm like, then why'd you come to me? You know, what, what are we even talking about? If, if you already know all this, right? If you already got all this, then why, why are we even talking? And I never say that to people. <laughs> but but I, I wonder sometimes that I think people think when they talk to the pastor that you, you have to have it all together, right? That you have to have it all figured out. And it's like, yo, man, I'm, I'm getting up in front of you and I'm telling you about, you know, my temper tantrums and I'm telling you about my imperfections. Man, I'm not perfect either, Right? And I just think we need to stop pretending sometimes, or we need to stop thinking that we have to put an appearance like everything is okay. And I think for many Christians, it's not like we're trying to be deceptive, but it's just what we've been taught, right? Like some of the things like Psalm 23, it just becomes a cliche. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I love this. I love that last week I talked about, you know, one of our leaders came up to me once and was like, Pastor Steve, I was meditating on Psalm 23. I shall not want, really? Really, I'm not supposed to want anything? And they're taking it seriously. They're like, but I want so much. <laughs> Man, you know, every time I'm on the internet, every time I'm on Amazon, I want something. What am I doing here in school if I don't want something? And my point is that We want this to be our lived experience, right? Do you have a kingdom heartbeat even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil. Friends, we've been working through Psalm 23. It's very short, so um, these are the first three verses, right? And we talked about this idea. That's where it starts. The Lord is our shepherd. He's in control. He's taking care of us. We can lay down in those green pastures, which is food. It's like laying down in a bucket of fried chicken, right? You can only do it if you're full, right? And so this sheep is completely satisfied. It's, we're being led by still waters. And we mentioned this last week, that one of the things that, that again, you know, maybe especially people who, who have been in the church for a long time, we read this stuff and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But if we're being really honest, the word that we hate, the word we cannot stand is makes, leads. And that's something that we can't deny when we look at Psalm 23. If the Lord is your shepherd, if the Lord is the king, you are the subject, right? And yes, we get to enjoy a lot of great things with that. But make no mistake, it means you follow. You're not the leader anymore. That's part of the reason why so many of us don't live this. 
Because we don't want to be the follower. We want to be the leader. But in this passage, we see that God is leading us to great places. Green pastures, still waters, sounds so good. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. But this is where it gets a little hairier. In verse 4 that we already read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I remember um, my old senior pastor when I was in Maryland, when I was a youth pastor, um, he pointed this out to me, and I'll never forget it. I, I always think about this every time I read Psalm 23. He says, it doesn't say if, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says even though, right? Which means that this whole leading thing, right, makes you, right? If you're really the sheep of this shepherd, your life might lead you through dark places, right? And, and I do want to say, it says, even though I walk through the, the traditional language, which the ESV preserves, because it's what everyone knows from the King James, the valley of the shadow of death. But a, probably a better translation for our modern understanding is the valley of deep darkness. The idea that the darkest possible valley, I think what the psalmist is getting at, is that, yes, we we already talked about God will lead you to good places. But what if he led you to the darkest place possible? No light. No light whatsoever. Even if you were there, you don't need to be afraid. And so we don't need to think of this as the most extreme circumstances. I know sometimes we only come to God, we only seek God when everything falls apart. (laughs) When, When we hit rock bottom. And friends, I'm just telling you, you don't need to wait, you know? You don't need to wait until you're in the darkest possible valley in your life. It could just be kind of dark, you know, just just a little little hazy, a little gray, you know? It could be a little uncomfortable, you know? And that could be a place for us to be able to see where our trust is. I mean, I, I don't want to call it a test per se, but that's what happens in life all the time. All of the things that we go through in life, are a test of our joyful confidence in Christ. This confidence of knowing, right? Not knowing up here, but knowing here. And in every fiber of our being, in your sweat glands, <laughs> that God is in, in control. You know? And so, um, yeah, the even though, we just have to acknowledge that. You might have to go through tough times. Why? We don't always get to know that either, right? Because if we knew that, we would be God. Right? God doesn't give us a map. That's what we want. We want a plan. Right? So many of us, we want everything figured out. Right? And one of the things that I've noticed a lot is that um, I, I talk to a lot of people when they're struggling. And um, you know, they'll say something like this. They'll, they'll say, like, Pastor Steve, I'm still processing. I'm still processing what happened to me. I'm still processing what I'm going through. What does that mean? What do you mean processing? In some ways, I think it means that we are trying to understand, we're trying to connect the dots, and I think the reason why we do that is because we want to believe we're still in control. If I just had a roadmap, if I could just understand, God, why did you lead me to the darkest valley? If you could tell me that, God, I would feel better. I'd feel much better, right? Why? Why? Because we think that'll give us some control, right? Right? 
And this is the thing. When you are in the dark, darkest valley, like, like just, you know, there's no light whatsoever. One of the things that can happen so often is that you, well, I mean, it's obvious, right? You can't see, you know? Have you ever been in the dark? That's what makes the dark so scary, is that your imagination goes wild, right? Because you don't know what's actually happening. And so what our mind usually does is it tries to make a story so that it can have understanding. This is how we have learned to try to deal with threats. We try to understand. We try to make a narrative that makes sense to us, right? So if you hear something bump in the night, right, and, and it's completely dark, what is that? Is that a tiger? Is that a murderer? Right? Or is it my ice machine? You know? Is it just, I don't know, gravity? You know, just, just something fell off the table? You know? And, and what our mind does oftentimes is that it loves to have a narrative that makes sense, even if the narrative is not helpful. Have you noticed this? Right? This is why conspiracy theories are so popular, because the world is complex, guys, right? and there's so many things that don't make sense. But people will try to make it make sense. Our brains crave this. It's like a little fix that you get, a little dopamine hit. When you make a connection, you're like, oh, I get it, Illuminati. It's a conspiracy. Mm, there's people pulling the strings. That's why it's happening. And whether or not it's true, as far as your brain goes, doesn't matter. If it makes sense in your brain, your brain's like, reward, dopamine. And you're like, the world makes sense, right? And so, friends, this is what happens sometimes when you're in a dark place. Sometimes two things go wrong at the same time. You could have 998 things going right, but two things go wrong, and then you start feeling like this. Why is this happening to me? Friends, I'm just trying to be honest. I go through this a lot. And so I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I'm not trying to belittle you or make you feel bad if this happens to you. But this is what our mind does. Two things go wrong in your life. You're like, I'm having a bad day. Right? Are you having a bad day? That's the story that your mind is telling yourself. Right? What's going on? What's wrong? Why are all these things happening to me now? Let's say it's not two things that went wrong in one day, but it was three things, maybe four things. Still, 996 things are going right, but four things going wrong. Everything sucks. My life is terrible. Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. There's no hope, right? Isn't this what happens? We start forming these stories, right? And, and, and we even use labels. I'm depressed. I'm hopeless. Right? This is what happens when we are in the dark. It's so easy to do this. And so we hear the psalmist say, even though I walk through the deepest of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. No evil. Right? That's the worst that can happen to us. It's not just that random stuff is happening, but there's actually something that is out to get you. There's something that is designed for your destruction. Isn't it so much worse? <laughs> if somebody, um, I don't know, you're driving and somebody hits you with their car, what's worse? 
That it was just an accident, person wasn't paying attention, or they did it on purpose. What's worse? What's worse? Evil is much worse. Whatever evil there may be, if the reality is that God is in control, we don't need to fear it, but we need to know that. We need to get that down deep within us. And the, the assurance that we're given, right, throughout Scripture, we're never given a roadmap, right? Seriously, see all the people who are like, God, help me to understand, right? Read Job. Job is a guy who, um, you know, through all of these things that happened, he was a very prosperous person, and he was very faithful to God. But things start happening to him. He loses his entire fortune. People in his family start dying. And then his, his whole body starts getting covered in boils. And, and he's just in misery, right? And at some point, he, his friends are like, hey, there's got to be a reason. Their friends are like trying to connect the dots. They're like, did you sin? There's got to be something you did. Because seriously, this wouldn't happen to a righteous person. Come on. Job, fess up. Who did this? This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to connect the dots. They're trying to make a story that makes sense. And so eventually, Job is like, God, I, I don't understand. Like, come on. I, I did everything. I did everything to be faithful to you. Why would you let this happen to me? God, come on. You've got to explain this to me. And this is what God says. And now, we, we, we don't think, most people don't think Job was actually a historical story. It's like a novel, right? That, that's what some people think. Like, we don't know for sure. But it's to illustrate a point. And so when Job goes before God and he's like, God, explain to me why, 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 why? I just, I just need a roadmap. I just need this to make sense. I need to process. I need to understand. And this is what, Job, this is what God says to Job. Okay, Job, I will answer your question, but you need to answer one of mine first, okay? Answer one of these questions. I'll give you all the answers you want. How high is the sky? How, how did I knit together this world? How do I make the winds blow? If you can explain that to me, Job, I'll give you all the answers you want. Because these things are beyond you. You don't understand. You can never understand. And what we are given throughout uh, uh, Scripture and throughout the life of the Christ follower is this opportunity for us to cling to God, not to understanding, not to explanations, right? Not to a sense of control, but to a person, the person of Christ who is always with us, right? And and we did this with the kids, right? And we talked about the, the rod and the staff, right? And these symbols of the presence of God. You're in the dark, and, and, and you, 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 you don't know the way. And it's not saying that you are alone or you just have to like, you know, believe it even though you have no proof of it, but we are told the rod and the staff, yeah, sorry, this is my staff, <laughs> that, you know, that, that sometimes when we don't know where to go, the rod will poke you, <laughs> prod you, tell you where to go, remind you, you'll feel it. You'll know that you're there. And the staff, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. You'll know that God is walking with you. This is what we need. We need the actual presence of God 
with us. And we need to learn how to be able to get that. Friends, there are these moments, um, you know, for me, uh, that I've been learning this practice of contemplative prayer. And it is about trying to uh, just be in the presence of God without controlling anything, you know, without all of the distractions that we go through. And, and, and you know, we already mentioned that uh, one of the things that's scariest for us is darkness. It's just, just being alone. But the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes you actually see throughout spiritual biographies of people, when they were most alone, when they were at their rope's end, when, when, when there was suffering or difficulty in their life, it is in those moments that many, many great people of faith, great men and women of faith, that's where they truly found God. It's in those moments. It's in the silence. It's in the darkness. Because you can't grab the phone. You can't grab for uh, uh, the, the other things that we have learned to rely upon. All you have is God. The only person you can turn to is God. And there are these moments where I'll just um, sit by my window. And, you know, sometimes I'll spend some time meditating on something like Psalm 23, meditating on a scripture. And then I'll just sit in the presence of God just for 20 minutes just being still. The thoughts come, you know, the thoughts are trying to tell me all kinds of things, right? And friends, I got to tell you, those thoughts, they're not really helpful. (laughs) You know, man, there's so many times where, um, you know, I've suffered through depression for most of my adult life. And and I, I had an anxiety disorder about three years ago, uh, three and a half years ago. And I got to tell you that, that one of the things that I've been learning to do, stop listening to those voices in your head. They're lying to you. They're trying to make sense of all these things that can't be made sense of. Right? They want to process. Let's process. Let's process. Let's process. And there's sometimes that all I want to do in those moments, or all that I've learned to do that's helpful, is, you know, maybe go for a walk. The thoughts will come. What's wrong? Why is this happening to us? Why, why, why? And, and just, just say, Jesus, just Jesus. <laughs> just be with God. Just let it go. Just let it go. Don't hold on to those thoughts. Don't try to understand. Don't try to process. But instead, when we let go of those things, what we are trying to hold on to is that simple knowledge. You are not alone. You are not alone. We want to live in that kingdom reality, right? And there are moments, moments. We, we talked about this last week, that for most of us, I, 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 maybe not everybody, but I'd be willing to bet <laughs> that everyone in this room has experienced at least one moment where, like, even if no one was around you, you just knew that you weren't alone. You just knew. You just knew it. You knew it in your bones that you were going to be okay. You just knew that you were held by something that, 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 that wasn't physical but was nonetheless real. That is the reality of living in the kingdom. Right? And friends, whenever you are going through tough times, 
what I want to encourage you to do, I, I'm not saying to just ignore it, right? But instead of processing, instead of trying to understand, try confession. What confession is, is you're just saying the true state of your soul, right? You, you, you're just saying, this is what's going on. You know, but you're not saying it in like a hysterical way because when you relive those things, your body actually feels it again. Have you ever tried to tell somebody what you were going through and you were fine, but as you're telling them, you start getting upset again? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what happens to us because your body is reliving that trauma, right? But there's a way to do it where you can just confess. You can just be like, yeah, God, I, I, I'm having a tough time. I'm lonely. I have doubt. I'm confused. Whatever it may be, right? And then just let it go. Then just let it go. And just practice being in the presence of God without needing to control, without needing to know where you're going, without needing to lead. Just be there with Christ. And you will learn more and more how to let go of the need to be the one in charge, to be the navigator, And I think you'll learn more and more how to just rest in the hand of this God who's always gripping you. Um, Ian, can you come up? We shared this with the kids, but um, the ultimate sign that we are not alone is the cross. Jesus went to the cross for us, which was ultimate humiliation and pain and death, right? And this idea that if even the Son of God would go to the cross and experience the cross, there is nothing that God isn't willing to go through with us, right? He's gone through every human experience. You know, he knows what we are going through. This God is with us, not just with us physically, but also he knows, he knows, he understands. So let's just take a moment before we go into the praise song um, to just be still, to be still. This doesn't require a lot of thinking. In fact, thinking won't often get you there. But maybe you can just look at these words. And, and, and you can uh, ruminate on them, chew on them. You can just look at the cross. You just rest. Just be reminded I don't need to be afraid. For you are with me. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Just rest. Just rest in the hands of the shepherd, of the good shepherd who's holding you. You don't need to be afraid. He's with you. He's with you in this moment, and he will be with you in every moment. But sometimes we don't have eyes to see that but that we can practice learning to be aware, to be able to sense the rod when it prods us, to be able to feel the presence of the shepherd who is always there by your side. God, we know we don't need to be afraid for you are with us. We confess that so often that's just a thought in our head. It is not our lived reality. Help us more and more, God, to trust in you 
even when we cannot see, even when we don't understand, even when the pathway is not clear. Help us, God, to cling to nothing but your presence, your loving presence, the assurance, God, that we are not alone. We were never alone. We will never be alone. Thank you, Jesus. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.